Hey, why don't you look to your neighbor, um, give him a hug, a high five, a kiss, whatever's appropriate. Has anybody ever had their first kiss from me saying that? Anybody? I'm believing you. I don't know if you're telling the truth, but hey, is it anybody's first time here hanging out with us tonight? Anybody's first time coming and checking us out? That's awesome. Hey, we have a bench set up just for you. So you can sit up here and feel as uncomfortable as possible. No, I'm kidding. Kidding, guys. Um, no, but we're thankful that you came uh, to check us out tonight. Our only goal is that you hear about Jesus and you make some friends. Um, <clears throat> that's why we exist. That's why we're here. And so I hope that you just have a great time tonight, that you feel at home. And yeah. Uh, last week, we started a series entitled The Streets. And the whole concept of this series, we kind of get it from Matthew chapter 5 in the message version of the Bible where it says, you're a city on a hill, um, you're, you're a lamp, don't, don't cover yourself up with a basket. But then it says, we are taking this message of Jesus public. We're going public with it. And so the idea, the thought behind it is, to borrow a phrase from another pastor, every single person in this room occupies a street um, it's somewhere, some, some point in their life. And what I mean by that is you have a job, you have friends, um, you have social groups and social connections that none of us have, no other person has in this room. And so go public in the streets with that message. And last week, Jess talked to us about how Jesus came looking for us when we weren't looking for him. And his love for us is so strong, it's so powerful, it's so passionate that it actually transforms us. And through that, when we know how loved we are by God, we can go out and share his love and his grace and his mercy with everyone that we come into contact with. And so tonight, all I want to do is continue this conversation about going public with our faith, this idea, this topic of evangelism, sharing our faith with other people. And so if you would, turn to me to John chapter 3. John chapter 3, how many people have their Bibles? Not very many people. Anybody trusting their phone to provide them a Bible? There we go, awesome. Hey, just side note, how many people, how amazing is it that we get the inspired living true word of God on our phones? Like that is insane. Like, and I feel like it's in 850 billion languages. Like there is no excuse for you to not have a Bible. So John chapter three, this is where we get the most famous verse in all of the Bible. John 3, 6, and while that verse is definitely relevant into what we're going to be talking about tonight, I actually want to talk about the story behind that verse and kind of go into that. And so John chapter 3, we're going to read this and then we're going to pray. All right? Everybody with me? All right, here we go. John chapter 3, starting in verse 1, it says this. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus. He was a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. And Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb? Whoa, Nicodemus, chill. Um, and, and be born. And Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, 
Unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of Spirit is Spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again, because the wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you don't know where it comes from or where it goes. And so it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. And Nicodemus said to him, how can these things be? And Jesus answered him, bro, you are a teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things. Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you earthly things and you don't believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who has descended from heaven, the Son of Man, a.k.a. me, the person you're talking to. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. And real quick, what Jesus is referencing there is when the Israelites were out in the wilderness, they were starting to get bit by snakes. And so uh, God told Moses to create this little like metal serpent looking thing and hold it up and anybody that looks on that will be healed. And what Jesus is saying is just as everybody back then that looked on that serpent was healed of their snake bites, I'm going to be lifted up except it's going to be on a cross. But anybody that looks to that cross and looks to me will be healed. That is what he is saying. For God so loved the world. Everybody loved. Who, who has memorized John 3.16? For God so loved, I love that he didn't just love, he so loved the world that he gave his only son. I love that he gives his son before we believe. Isn't that awesome? He gives before we even believe. He gave his only son that whoever would believe in him will not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn this world, but in order that this world might be saved through him. And so the title of my message tonight is this, A Heart for the Hearer. A Heart for the Hearer, the story of Nicodemus. Heart for the Hearer, story for Nicodemus. Let's pray. Jesus, we love you so much. God, this whole thing is about you. Jesus, you're beautiful. You're our reward. You're our provider, God. If we have nothing else in this life but Jesus, we have everything we possibly need. And so God, while it is so important for us to go and share our faith with anyone and everyone, we look to Jesus as our example on how to do that. Jesus, you were the ultimate evangelist. You gave your life for others to come to know God. And so tonight I pray that we can simply walk away knowing Jesus better, being encouraged in our faith, knowing that God loves us, cares about us, knows about us, is there for us. And I pray that you would be lifted up, Jesus, and you would draw people to yourself. It is in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, John. Doesn't it sound so much more spiritual when you pray with keys behind you? It just, your prayers just go right through the roof, right into heaven. Um, so growing up, I grew up in a Christian home, although I would not consider myself a Christian as a kid. I was a Sunday Christian. Didn't really love Jesus, just had to put on the khakis and the button-up shirt and go to church. 
pay my dues, whatever, go home and play Madden or something like that. That was a normal Sunday for me. But I grew up in a Christian church and it gave me roots. And in college, I actually gave my life to Jesus um, and became a follower of the way of Jesus. And I was at VCU, go Rams! Anybody, VCU, Virginia Commonwealth? That's what I figured. Um, <laughs> quick side note, claim to fame, VCU made it to the final four uh, one year and beat Duke in the first round while I was there. Man, tough crowd. Okay, um, but I was at VCU, one of the greatest universities in America, and I became a Christian my freshman year. I remember I was sitting up in my dorm room, a guy that uh, was in a Bible study with me, kind of mentoring me, played basketball with me a lot, um, led me to the Lord and challenged me to really make that decision with my life. And I remember accepting Jesus on the 17th floor of Rhodes Hall at Virginia Commonwealth, I think it was snowing outside, it was freezing cold, but I remember never feeling the same when Jesus like met me and saved me and rescued me from my situation. Honestly, when I met Jesus, I was a different person. Jesus healed me in places that I didn't know I needed to be healed in. He gave me this forgiveness that I like never experienced in my life. But not only did he forgive me, he actually, and this is how you know like you're a different person. This is how you know Jesus is real and he actually wrecked you. Because um, when I met Jesus, he, he forgave me, but he also said, hey, you've offended some people. You need to ask other people for forgiveness. And no lie, one of the first things I did as a new Christian, I called every single ex-girlfriend that I had. I'm not kidding. I'm not kidding. This is how you know that this is real. Because um, normally we hate our exes. Just, no, we don't. Um, but I called every ex-girlfriend I ever had and apologized to them if I ever said anything or did anything that offended them, belittled them, or treated them um, in a way that was not respectful and was not from God. And I got some people that were like, never talk to me ever again. And I got other people that were like, wow, that, like, that's crazy. Like, thank you so much for doing that. But I was a different person different person. I had this joy that I didn't even know was possible. And let me tell you something. I was excited about my faith. I was like one of those new Christians that you just like sick and boy and just run up and like go talk to somebody about Jesus. Like I was excited about my faith. I was like zealous and I would try to find any possible avenue I could to fit like the gospel in somewhere. Like I would be playing intramural basketball and I would go up to dunk on somebody. I can't dunk, guys. You know that. But I can do really cool layups. I can try. I can grab the rim one day. Um, but no, I would play intramural basketball. And I would go do this awesome layup, right? And I would get fouled. And I would like walk up to the guy that fouled me and be like, hey, man, first and foremost, one, <clears throat> I forgive you for fouling me. Two, a foul is kind of like sin, right? Like the game had to stop because you did something that went against the grain of the intention of the game. You fouled me and we had to stop now. And a lot of people think that Jesus is like a referee that sits on the sideline and that he says like, hey, that's right. And hey, that's a foul. Stop doing that. But Jesus is way more than a referee, right? Jesus actually decides to come in and take the place of your foul. And so now if you look at the scorer's table, the foul doesn't go against you. The foul goes against Jesus like nothing ever happened. But guess what? God is so good that not only does he take the foul upon you, but he gives you grace and mercy and blessing. And so if we're really going to make this picture complete, I think you need to shoot the free throw for your team because that is what the grace of God does. I worked hard on that, guys. Come on. All right. Um, but I was excited. I was excited about my faith. 
And, and I had this passion and this zeal to tell everybody about Jesus. But somewhere along those lines of passion um, and, and just desire for everybody to know Jesus, things kind of started to get a little gray, started to get a little cloudy. And, and somewhere along that line of passion, um, my passion and excitement blended and I began to see people as evangelical opportunities to convert instead of people with a story and a past and pain and triumphs. I began to start to look at people and view people as evangelical opportunities instead of real people. And there was a moment for me where I was kind of caught up in my zealousness. And listen, I don't think it's bad to be passionate about what you believe. If Jesus honestly saved you, it is the greatest news on planet Earth. Jesus is real. He's alive. You can walk with him and talk with the spirit today. He's coming back to take you to a place he's prepared for you. Jesus is amazing. But there is a way, there, there, there's a heart that you need to have for somebody that you're talking to Jesus about. And there was a moment that I learned this that I will never forget. And it marked me and it scarred me in a, in a way that both hurts and has changed the way that I talk to people when it comes to, to evangelizing and sharing my faith. And so while I was at VCU, go Rams. And uh, I lived in a townhouse with four people, three of which, including myself, were Christians, and one was from another major world religion. And for the sake of this story, we're going to call him Frank. That wasn't his name, um, but we are going to call him Frank. And Frank was one of the most amazing dudes in the entire world. He wasn't from America, and so one year he literally was like, hey, I want you to make me the best American that I can possibly be. And so we're like, all right, to be an American, you have to idolize a celebrity. So who do you want to be like? And he's like, I want to be like George Clooney. And so we're like... All right, like, we're going to make you like George Clooney. And we, we took Frank camping for the first time and taught him how to swim. It was awesome. Um, Frank was this amazing dude, but he, he was very passionate about his faith. But he was living with three guys that followed Jesus, and we started to have conversations and questions. And we'd just sit around and hang out and be playing like Nintendo 64 or something like that. And Frank would talk to us and be like, hey, so I know the Bible says this, but it also says this. Like, how, how do you reckon that? Like, and then he would be like, hey, like, you say that Jesus will forgive you like, no matter what you do. Does that mean you can just go and do whatever you want? And we're like, no, but I know a lot of people live that way, but you shouldn't do that. Um, and Frank, he would have these sincere questions for us about Jesus. And we would have these talks. We'd stay up till 2, 3 in the morning and talk about the grace of God and the love of Jesus and how it differed from this, this faith that he, had just, he had was, was born into and put, him, and put his faith in. And, and we would have these sincere talks. And, and in college at VCU, I was a part of this like college, uh, church organization outreach and it was awesome I have I have so many amazing stories from my time there and they would do these bible studies that me and my friends would go to and Frank would come with us and totally not believing in what was being said but genuinely having questions and we'd go to these bible studies and Frank would ask questions and you could just see his heart kind of growing fuller and fuller and and so um one day this college outreach um had a Christmas dinner, like a going away Christmas party before winter break. And so me and my three other roommates, we decided to go to this party and Frank decided to join us. And so we were at this dinner, this Bible study dinner thing. 
And there's a lot of people there, and so we were sitting at the table, getting some free food, and uh, Frank, like he normally would, would just start to ask questions about Jesus and about Christianity and about all this stuff. And that wasn't out of the norm. And sometimes he would ask questions kind of like defensively, but a lot of the times it was from a genuine place in his heart of curiosity of like, how do you reconcile these things? And so I remember the party was kind of wrapping up. It was... Um, you know, people were starting to head out, and we were all kind of left the dinner table, and we were in our own little private conversations. And um, I was saying goodbye to some of my friends, and one of my roommates walks up to me with Frank, and I can tell something happened, and his face is kind of frustrated, and he's angry, and he looks like, you know, he's about to cry or, like, fight someone. And so, just like, and my friend, my roommate is like, hey, we need to go. Like, we need to, we need to hurry up and go. And so, I can't remember if we got in a car or if we walked home, um, but I do remember having a very serious and intense conversation with my friend Frank. And Frank was like, hey, man, well, like, what happened? Like, what is going on? And this guy at our Bible study that was at the dinner cornered Frank and he began to kind of talk to him about how, hey, like you've been coming to these Bible studies long enough. Um, you've been coming to these dinners. You've been coming to these parties. You need to decide what you believe. And tonight, you need to make a decision to follow Jesus and stop playing around. And what this guy didn't understand was if Frank were to make a decision to follow Jesus, it wasn't just like I don't know, picking a new movie to watch or TV show to watch on Netflix. Like This had consequences for my roommate and consequences for my friend. He would, one, not be accepted back into his home, literally told us, could not go back home for winter break. Two, his parents would have acted like they never knew him, never had him. His siblings, his grandparents, his aunts and his uncles would not acknowledge his existence. And this guy corners him. And here's, and here's the thing, and I mean this from the bottom of my heart. I'm sure with the best intentions in the world, I'm sure with a passion for Jesus and a passion for other people to know Jesus, he corners my friend Frank. And it's like, it's now or never, man. You need to decide. And Frank still had questions. Hey, what about this? What about this? Doesn't matter. Where's your faith? Well, where's your belief? Like you need to decide. And I watched a single moment in time as my friend, as, as the love and relationship that I had poured into Frank genuinely, not out of, uh, out of a place of trying to convert him. I loved the guy, still love him. Um, but I saw like all this progress where Jesus was just working on his heart and he was feeling safe and he was feeling comfortable and he was feeling like he could approach Jesus without like any weirdness or like I watched all that just crumble with one bad conversation. And if we're not careful, if we are not careful, I think it's easy when we take our faith public, when we take our faith to the streets, I think it's easy when it comes to evangelism to turn it into a systematized method of trying to create converts rather than allowing the Holy Spirit to work through you, in you, and already see what God's already been doing in this person's life, to meet them where they're at, to love them where they're at, and to continue to have those hard conversations, answer those questions, to meet somebody where they need to be met. Evangelism isn't some system to like flip a coin and like, well, we get a convert here. And a, it's not about converts. I hate that word. It's about Jesus. It's about people feeling the love that Jesus actually has. Like he is a real person and he really loves you and he's really God. Like that is what evangelism is like all about. It's about having a heart 
for the hearer, the person that you're talking to, and wanting them to experience God's love more than just wanting to like check a mark in a box saying that I've done my due diligence and I've evangelized today. You know what I mean? And that's what leads me to our story in John chapter 3. John chapter 3, Jesus is having a very interesting conversation with somebody that doesn't really believe Jesus who he says he is, is who he says he is, at least not yet. Jesus is having this conversation with a man about um, the teachings that Jesus has been doing throughout Jerusalem and around the surrounding areas. And um, I guess for lack of a better term, this is one of, not the only time, but one of the times where we see Jesus evangelizing, sharing faith, sharing salvation with somebody who is a skeptic, who doesn't necessarily believe what Jesus believes. And so we're going to examine the first few um, verses in this story, and I believe that they have implications. And, and, and yes, John 3.16 is a part of this amazing um, message of salvation that Jesus gives to this man, but, but the beginning and the intro is so important to understand the context of what's going on here. And so John chapter 3, verse 1, it says this, now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. And now we need to stop there. Right away, we need to stop if we're going to understand what's going on here. See, a Pharisee in that time was, was a ruler of a synagogue. They were a spiritual leader. They were a pastor, a priest, whatever, to, uh, to the people, to the Jews in that area. And so what the Pharisees believed, they, they hung their hat on two very specific things. Number one, the teaching of the law of Moses, the first five books of the Bible, the Torah. They, they were law-abiding citizens to the nth degree. They were all about the law, all for the law, so much so that the second thing they, they hung their hat on were the traditions of the elders. And what these traditions were, literally, they would, the word for them was offense. It was like laws before the laws. Like it was laws you couldn't do to guarantee you didn't break the laws to make sure you were in the clear. And so this is what this man believed. This is what this man taught. And this is what this man gave to the people. He was a religious figure of these people. And the thing about being a Pharisee and coming to Jesus is, I don't know if we've read your Bible or heard us talk about it a lot, Jesus and the Pharisees didn't seem to get along very much. See, this guy was a follower of the law, and Jesus was the fulfillment of the law. This guy was a, a keeper of the traditions, and Jesus was the person that knew the law and knew how to love people perfectly despite the traditions that this person held. And so it says Nicodemus was a Pharisee, but it also says he was a ruler of the Jews. Now, later in John chapter 7, we find out that Nicodemus is not only a religious figure, he's a member of what was called the Sanhedrin. That is a political uh, little court system. So like... Uh, Nicodemus would work down at Jeffco, like doing the, the, the courts things in his spare time. Like he would, and so what, what Rome would do is they would put these like judges and rulers in place in these little cities to sort of self-govern themselves, especially if they were of another religion. And so Rome didn't want to have to deal with these minor Jewish infractions all the time when people were breaking laws. And so what they did was like, hey, as long as you don't rebel against Rome, you can kind of like keep your own law and like judge yourself. And so Nicodemus was not only a spiritual leader, but he was on the Sanhedrin, so he was a political figure as well. And, and, and what is this, why is this so important to the story? What is the Bible trying to tell us? Why wouldn't it just say this man named Nicodemus came? It says he's a Pharisee and it says he's a ruler of the Jews. What the Bible is trying to tell us here 
positionally is Nicodemus was somebody who would have very opposite, or at least sort of the same context, but very opposite beliefs that Jesus held, and especially the way that he interpreted the law that Jesus fulfilled and that he taught. The Bible's trying to tell us that Nicodemus wasn't necessarily, a, he didn't come to be like, Jesus, I believe absolutely everything you're doing and saying. And actually, we see based on John 3.16, the conversation, he came with questions. And so the Bible tells us he's a Pharisee and he was part of the Sanhedrin because he did not necessarily believe everything that Jesus was saying and he had to come check it out for himself. Now, verse 2, it says this, this man came to Jesus by night and said, Rabbi. Now again, we got to stop at verse number 2 here because this is so important. It says, Nicodemus came to Jesus by night. Now, why is that important for us to understand? It's not just setting like the context of, of, of some story. He came to Nicodemus, Nicodemus came to Jesus by night because, he, because of his beliefs and the political positions and the religious positions that he held. If he was to be seen with Jesus, he could be ostracized from his religious position, kicked out of his political position. This would have cost him his reputation. This would have cost him everything. And so Nicodemus comes to Jesus in the cover of the night. He comes alone. He comes in secret. And I'm sure he comes with some hesitancy, almost probably a little bit of shame because he's like, I I'm Nicodemus. Like, I'm a religious leader. Like, I have all this stuff figured out, right? People come to me for answers. And I'm going to this guy who says he's a prophet because I've got some questions about what he has to say. Nicodemus comes to Jesus in the middle of the night because he's ashamed, he's embarrassed, he doesn't buy it quite yet. And he doesn't want anybody to know he's trying to associate himself with Jesus. But then it goes a little bit further. He comes to Jesus at night, but then he calls him rabbi. Now this is huge because what Nicodemus is saying, he's coming to Jesus and he's like, listen, I don't know if I buy what you're selling. I'm not exactly sure what, what, what you got going on here, but people listen to you. And he actually says this. He says, um, let me find it here. He says, rabbi, we know you're a teacher who have come from God because nobody can do these signs unless God is with them. Now listen to what this man is saying. This man that has the spiritual responsibility of his community on his shoulders, he has political responsibility on his shoulders, and to be seen with Jesus would cost him all of that. He says, teacher. Rabbi means teacher. What is he trying to say? He's saying, hey, I don't buy everything you're saying. I've heard some of your teaching, like, I'm not, I don't know if I'm cool with it or not, but I'm willing to have a conversation. Can you handle my questions? I'm willing to have a conversation. Can you handle my questions? And he notices that there's something different about Jesus. Now look at Jesus' response. Jesus doesn't say, Nicodemus, bro, you're so close, but don't you know that if you are ashamed of me in front of people, I will be ashamed of you in front of God? Like, don't you know, Nicodemus, like what, you think you're going to come to me like in the cover of night in secret so that you, nobody knows like you're associated? Like, you need to own it. You need to own this faith. You need to own this religion, Nicodemus. What are you doing? You're ashamed. You're embarrassed. You have questions. Like, where is your faith? Jesus doesn't say that. He actually says, okay, 
what, like, what, what do you want to know? And Nicodemus is like, well, I hear you teach about salvation. Tell me about that. And Jesus says, okay, you want to know about salvation? You need to be born again. He's like, okay, well, what in the world does that mean? Right? He's like pressing back. Like, he, it's not just like, oh, yeah, okay, ding, saved. You know, like, he's like, what are, what are you talking? Like, that doesn't do it for me. Like, what are you talking about? You need to be born. How can somebody be born again? And Jesus is like, okay, it's kind of like the wind, right? Like, you don't know where it goes, but, but it's there. Like, that is salvation. Like, for whoever puts their faith in me will be saved. I came for you, Nicodemus, not to condemn you, but to save you, to love you. Jesus sees this man not as a project, not as a, as a potential convert. He doesn't see this person as, a, as an evangelical opportunity. He sees Nicodemus come to him in the middle of the night because he's embarrassed with questions. And you know what Jesus says? Nicodemus, I know what you need. You need me to answer some questions in the secret of the night. I know you don't want to be associated with me quite yet. That's cool. I'll answer your questions. I'll hang out with you. We can have this meeting. I'm not going to condemn you. I'm not going to challenge you when you don't need to be challenged. I'm going to sit with you when you need to be sat with. I'm going to have conversations with you when you need to be talked to. And band, you guys can make your way back on up slowly, though. (laughs) Jesus saw Nicodemus as a person and not a project. And when you see people as a person and not a project, you start to have a heart for that person. And the goal doesn't become to just flip that person, change their thinking. The goal actually becomes to share Jesus with this person. And here's what I love about this story, right? Because you're like, Jesus, best person in the world, God on earth, greatest human being ever. I'm sure he's going to have this like amazing conversion story miracle right in front of us, right? Jesus talks to Nicodemus, explains to him salvation, Maybe Nicodemus got it, maybe he didn't, we're not too sure. But the next part of the Bible literally says, Jesus has this conversation with Nicodemus at night. It says, the next day, Jesus and his disciples went to the lake to baptize people. No miraculous conversion, even when Jesus is evangelizing. At least to our information, what we're privy to, nothing crazy happened. Nicodemus was like, all right. This guy met with me. I had some questions. I think he answered them. Um, And I'm going to go back home and think about it. And Jesus kind of continues on with his day with with the disciples and kind of does his thing. But how many of you know when you have an authentic encounter with Jesus, you can never be the same? When you have an authentic encounter with the God-man of the universe, God who created everything and then loved us so much, he came down from heaven, not just, not just to save us out of pity or spite, because the Bible says he loved us, so loved us, that he actually came down. And, and we see that Nicodemus actually, even though he doesn't make a decision right on the spot, he was changed forever. Now, how do we know this? So Jesus continues on, he's baptizing people, and he starts to perform these miracles. One of the miracles John talks about is there was a paralyzed man, and it said that around this paralyzed man, Jesus went up to him, and the Pharisees surrounded them. And now, what was Nicodemus? Nicodemus was a Pharisee, and so there is a chance that Nicodemus is standing in the crowd watching Jesus interact with this paralyzed man. And Jesus heals him, and he says, your sins are forgiven. Go and sin no more. And the Pharisees leave, and they're in an upright. I wonder if Nicodemus was standing there and saying, I know that guy. 
That was the guy, that was the guy that was willing to meet with me at midnight and answer my tough questions. And this is a guy that's willing to go and spend time with an outcast, paralyzed guy on the edge of town and invest in him. And they're like, I know that guy. That's, that's pretty consistent with what he does. And then the Pharisees, actually, Jesus is just blowing up the town. He's doing everything awesome. People love him. And the Pharisees are getting all upset and they're getting their feelings hurt. And so what they do is they get Roman guards, the Sanhedrin now, the political party, they get these Roman guards to go out and try to arrest Jesus. But the Roman guards come back and they're actually like, the Pharisees go, hey, where is it? Why are you back here without Jesus? And literally their response is, this guy is amazing. He's awesome. And the Pharisees are like, what the heck? Like, what are you good for? And then literally they're like, we need to stop this guy. And look who speaks up. John chapter 7, Nicodemus with his bros doing political stuff. He's like, why would we arrest this guy? Like, don't we normally give people like sort of like a, an opportunity to explain themselves and talk to them and see what they're about? And his Pharisee crew goes, what, are you, are you from Galilee too? Like, are you, are you one of his? Like there was something about Jesus that Nicodemus was like, ah, oh, guys, no, let me, let's give him the benefit of the doubt here. Like he's, he's doing awesome stuff. The very next chapter, John chapter eight, Jesus is confronted with a very serious situation. It says the Pharisees and the leaders of the Jews, uh, scribes, literally Nicodemus and his crew find a woman who is literally having sex with somebody that's not her husband, caught in the act. And they grab her, I'm sure she was naked, embarrassed, probably the lowest point of her life. They take her and they throw her before Jesus. And they pick up stones because remember Nicodemus as a Pharisee was a keeper of the law and the traditions of the law and the tradition of the law and the law said that you must stone a person, male or female, caught in adultery. And so I'm sure Nicodemus might have been there standing there with a stone in his hand watching Jesus saying, I wonder what he's going to do with this woman. And he sees Jesus kneel down and start to draw in the dirt. And he looks at her and he, and he looks up at the Pharisees. I want, he might have even locked eyes with Nicodemus. Who knows? And he goes, hey, you without sin, you guys can come and you can throw the first stone. That's totally cool. And one by one, the Pharisees drop their stones. And I wonder if Nicodemus was standing out in the crowd and being like, that's the guy I know. Like he met me at night when I, I was ashamed to be with him. I had questions. I didn't believe in him, but I saw him heal somebody. And I saw him forgive this woman, like literally caught in the act and his grace is stronger. That's the guy that I met. Like that's the guy that I know. And Jesus continues to do these miracles. And, and literally the last we hear from Nicodemus, Jesus is being crucified. He, he was judged unfairly, did nothing wrong, judged unfairly and being brought to Golgotha, the place of the skull where Jesus would eventually die. And Luke says that while Jesus was being tortured, his beard was being ripped out, people were spitting on him, they were gambling over his clothes. It said a crowd of accusers accumulated, a crowd of people now, the people that put Jesus like, in to be crucified were Pharisees, members of the Sanhedrin, political leaders, Nicodemus' crew. And it said that a crowd gathered to watch Jesus be tortured and to be crucified. I wonder if Nicodemus was in that crowd and watched this guy that was willing to meet with him and to talk to him and to answer his questions, to meet a woman where she was at at her lowest point. 
I wonder if he was in the crowd just saying, what is going on here? What's happening? I wonder if Nicodemus saw Jesus get the nails driven into his hands and his feet. I wonder if Nicodemus heard Jesus forgive the robber on the cross right beside of him under the most immense amount of pain and torture known to mankind. Today, you'll be with me in paradise. I wonder if Nicodemus heard him say that. I wonder if Nicodemus was there when it said that the sun went black and the earth shook and the veil in the temple was torn. I wonder if Nicodemus felt the earth quake underneath his feet. Because the last time we hear from Nicodemus is in John chapter 19 and it says this, Jesus had just been crucified. He had given up his breath. He had finished his work of salvation on the cross. All that was left to do was be raised in three days. No, not a thing, you know what I mean? All that was left to do, he had finished his work and he laid dead hanging on a cross. And the Bible says that a man named Joseph, who was a follower of Jesus, but in secret because he was afraid of what the Jews would do to him if they found him, went to Pilate to ask for the body of Jesus. Now that's a bold thing to do because you don't want to associate with somebody that just got crucified as a potential religious rebellion leader. So this guy named Joseph goes and he asks Pilate for the body and then it says a man joined him. And this man's name was Nicodemus. And it describes him as the guy that came to Jesus by night. The guy that met Jesus by night. And Nicodemus just doesn't come. He comes with all the embalming ointments and oils. The Bible says 75 pounds of it. Now in our day and age, that is $200,000 worth of embalming oils. And one of the commentators said, this is not a normal burial procedure. This is the amount that you would bring to a king. Nicodemus, in this moment, most commentators would agree, went to Jesus because he was ashamed and afraid in the middle of the night and is now helping take Jesus off the cross to carry him to a tomb as a public confession of faith in God. Of what would happen when somebody's willing to sit with you in the middle of the night and answer your questions. Well, what real love can do, because here's the thing, we can sit with people that I'm sure I'm pray, I've prayed all day that God would put somebody on your heart, somebody that would be kind of your Nicodemus, like that, that you could sit, maybe they're afraid of God, maybe they hate God, maybe they're, they're in a lot of pain and they blame it on God, and, and you could sit with them in their pain and answer their questions, talk to them. But here's what's crazy too, I have to believe that Nicodemus also saw how God treated other people, how Jesus treated other people. And so I wonder what it would look like as we're inviting our friends to the meetup. If we're not just gonna go out and, and just invite recklessly. I mean, invite everybody that you want, but what if we actually were willing to sit and meet with people right where they are and answer the questions and have the conversations? Because it took Nicodemus a little while, right? But at the very end, he, he buried a king that he didn't know was gonna be raised again. And like, and like most commentators said, he made a public confession of his faith by, by in front of everybody, taking Jesus off a cross, taking him to a tomb and burying him. Would you guys stand to your feet? Every year we do this meetup and it's to throw a cool party, yes. It's to have fun and, and have food trucks, yes. But the, the goal, the goal of the meetup, the goal of life is Jesus. Jesus is the point. He is the point of everything. 
Jesus is salvation for your future. He's salvation for your now. He is like eternity. He's paradise. Like Jesus is everything. Heaven is nothing without Jesus. Jesus is like the fulfillment of the Godhead in bodily form. Colossians says that the Trinity was pleased to be represented in Jesus, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, in Jesus. And so this is what we're gonna do. Number one, during our first song, just like last week, my prayer all day has been that God would put somebody on your heart that you could sit with, talk to, invite to come to the meetup, but, but be with them, be an example for them. Sit with them in their pain. Have those conversations. And if you want to, during the first song, I would encourage you to come and write that person's name again on this bench. And there's nothing magical or weird about it. It's just, it's just your way of saying, God, like I'm really putting this person before you. I want you to move in their life. Because the Holy Spirit does all the hard lifting, right? We just get the benefit of being used to have those conversations. And then tonight, my second thing, if you don't know this Jesus, this Jesus that's willing to meet with critics and cynics and doubters and people with questions, like John 3.16 said, it said, God so loves you that he came, not to condemn you, but, but to offer you life, like real life. The Bible says eternal life, like life right now. Listen, Jesus like loves you right now like jesus loved nicodemus right when he came jesus loved the woman caught in adultery right when she came jesus loves you like love so loves you right now and if you have not made a decision to follow jesus maybe tonight's your night and when i'm talking maybe you feel your chest starting to beat i honestly believe that's the holy spirit just saying hey like come on Invite Jesus into your heart. And so tonight, with every head bowed, every eye closed, I just want to give you an opportunity. If you don't know this Jesus, who loves you enough to die for you, and also loves you enough to have hard conversations, to answer your questions, to sit in your tension, but you want to get to know this Jesus, I would ask that on the count of three, you would raise your hands. One, I just want to remind you, Jesus loves you more than you could ever possibly imagine. Two, the Bible says that today is the day of salvation. Do not wait. Three, if you want to make a decision to follow Jesus, would you lift your hand? He loves you. He's crazy about you. He will forgive absolutely everything you've ever done. Wipe the slate clean. Never hold it against you and empower you to live a life of boldness, peace, love, patience, kindness. Jesus loves you. Can we pray? And after we pray, if you feel led to come down and write somebody's name on this bench, would you do that? Jesus, we love you so much. God, it is crazy that you not only hold the key to life, you are the key to life, Jesus, but that you have the love and the patience to sit with us. Maybe when we're embarrassed of you, maybe when we're ashamed of you, maybe when we don't have all the answers and we've got tough questions for you, you'll sit with us in those moments. So Jesus, I pray that as we begin to, to go out into our streets, to go out into public with our faith, that you would begin to speak to us on how to deal with other people in their moments and in their situations. Would you put somebody's name so strongly in our mind and so strongly in our heart that we can't shake the fact that we need to sit with this person the way that you're willing to sit with us. Jesus, we love you. We're so thankful that you saved us. We couldn't do it on our own. You did it all. We love you so much. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.